appreciate the opportunity to be with you this morning and to worship the Lord and have fellowship. Um, as was mentioned, it was 10 years ago, I had an opportunity to pastor here for nine months. And they called a great pastor after that time. I think his name is uh, Philip Keynes. So that's good. Uh, and now seeing some of you people that have been here during that time, you're looking a little older. And you kids don't recognize you anymore. <clears throat> but glad to see you're growing up. I've asked uh, our usher to come forward and want to make sure that every one of you young people, children, if you can read, I want you to have a bulletin in your hand this morning. So if you don't have your bulletin, raise your hand so you can get one. While that's being done, let me just, uh, a brief word of testimony, a reminder to some and new to others. I was born and reared 83 years ago on a farm in Iowa, the youngest of eight kids. I spent my first seven grades in a one-room country schoolhouse. Eight grades, one teacher, 25 to 30 students. We moved to town when I was 12 years old. Went to the Presbyterian Church. <clears throat> Our youth leader took us over to the Methodist Church where they were having a revival meeting. I did not know what that was. I only heard that they are going to have good music, which I love. So when I was 15 years of age, I went to that revival meeting, and the team was from Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. And that night, I heard some bad news. And I'm wondering if you kids here, even if you're brought up in a Christian home, whether you've ever heard the bad news. The bad news, as was mentioned from the pulpit this morning, you, as well as I, was born with a sinful nature deserving God's punishment in hell forever. The bad news. Then I heard the good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord at that time. Finished high school, graduated from Iowa State University, degree in forestry, <clears throat> and a commission in the Army. While in the Army, I met a chaplain who Believe the Bible preached that lived it. Prompted me to commit my life to Christ for the ministry. And he told me that Covenant Seminary and Covenant College had just gotten started in St. Louis. And so I enrolled at Covenant Seminary in 1957. The other good thing that happened with this chaplain was he was connected with the Bells family in Iowa near where I lived. And this chaplain said... Uh, 
the Bells family I know about, he said, they have a daughter you might be interested in. So I married her 58 years ago. And uh, my ministry for the last 58, 60 years has been starting new churches, starting Christian schools, and uh, preaching the gospel. And I appreciate the opportunity to be with you here this morning. I do want to mention to you kids that uh, born and reared on the farm, <clears throat> we'd do our chores in the morning, jump in the car, load up the car, drive 11 miles to church. My brother and I, he was two years older, We'd go to Sunday school because we had to. And then at church time, we'd skip out. We'd sit on the back row like, there are some back row people there. Yes, that's all right. <clears throat> we'd slip out and go to town, uptown, because we had each gotten a nickel for our allowance that week. One nickel. But we could buy a triple dipper ice cream cone for a nickel. Then we'd eat our ice cream, come back to the church just in time before it let out. So I was a bad kid. That's why I found out later on I was a helpless, hopeless lost sinner. Now this morning, I want us to take out the sermon outline of insert for our scripture lesson and then for the study itself. Now, I want to confess at the beginning here, this is not going to be a typically great Philip Kane's sermon. This is going to be a Bible study. This is going to be a classroom time of instruction. And I've got it all written out for us. So then in case you don't get it through this method, maybe you can get it through this method here. But most of all, It's going to take the Spirit of God to help us see it. Otherwise, we won't. I appreciated the confession of faith from chapter 2, which started off, We who were dead in trespasses and sins. Children, young people, adults, you started out with being dead, spiritually dead in the sight of God, in trespasses and sins. Then the next part of that scripture says, but God made us alive through Christ, see. Now this morning we're going to read from chapter 1, and then I want us to look at that chart which is showing God's plan of salvation. And you probably have noticed already there are five different columns on there. And uh, I'll get to that shortly, but uh, I want us to see what God has done if you're saved, if you've been washed from your sin with the blood of Christ, if you're trusting Christ your Savior, you were not saved just to keep you out of hell. You were saved that your life would please the one who saved you every step of the way, whether you think it or say it or do it. 
I heard a true story, I believe it was, some time ago about a person was walking down the street and he noticed a house was on fire. And he wondered to himself, I wonder if there's anybody in there. He broke open the front door and inside that house that was burning, he saw a man who was sitting in a chair all tied up in ropes. He rescued him. Got him outside before the house burned down. And shortly after that, the man who was rescued, he said, Thank you for saving me. And the next thing he said, You know, I think I owe you my life. If you've been saved... You owe the triune God your life. And if you're not saved, you're in trouble. But there's hope. There's assurance that God will have mercy and show you your sin and show you your need for the Savior and even make you willing and able to trust Christ. Now that's good news. Now, in this first chapter, it's designed for us to read this responsibly. It'll be a little backwards from what um, Jeff did. He read the bold, and you read the light. But I'm going to read the light. You read the bold. But here's the point. There are three times in this passage where it says, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. The first time it is, we were chosen by the Father before the creation of the world to the praise of his glory. The next time it shows up is, we were redeemed by God the Son to the praise of his glory. The last time it shows up with, we were converted, renewed, indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit for the praise of his glory. Got that? It's all for the praise of his glory. Now, if you will join with me responsibly in reading. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for his adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we require a possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now from First Peter, flowers fade, grass withers, and flesh is as dust, but the word of the Lord remains forever. If you'll take a look now at the chart, um, this subject of God's plan is very controversial. It's a plan that's sometimes helpful to lay it out as to what the different views might be. Uh, If you believe what's on the right-hand side of the column, it's because of the Lord's opening your eyes to that. If you don't, I trust that the Lord will help you to see that. And uh, the reason for this is for God's glory, because the issue is who saved you, what part did you have in it, and why did he do it? It's for his glory, for his honor, and it's according to his word. And not only for that, for us to say, well, I'm saved, but it's because to say, the Lord was gracious and saved me. And he will save you if you've never yet been saved. Call upon him and ask him to do that for you. On the right-hand column of the page, you'll notice what we call Reformed theology or what's held by the Presbyterian Church in America or other Bible-believing denominations. Uh, some of you have studied in this the past, these titles down there go by the word go under the word acrostic tulip and I kind of like to just have you look at that chart if you will first of all it has to do with our sinful nature people are totally depraved and lost in sin Ephesians 2 which we read this morning and Romans 3 11 says people in their natural estate will not seek God Now, if a human being is in that kind of condition, he is in no ability, no capability, or no desire to come to God. But the next thing you see is unconditional election. That is, God plans, and then God knows, God decided before creation who he would choose by his grace for his glory. Ephesians 1, 4 through 7, chosen Christ. The outcome is certain. The only way since people are spiritually dead in sin, we are so bad that only God could save us. 
There's a passage that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, chapter, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He talks about if the gospel of Christ is hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost. And then the apostle Paul says, Satan blinds the hearts and minds of and died for and crossed, will come to Christ. Maybe not the day that you talk about it or think about it. But the Lord will lovingly and graciously save those who went to the cross to die for. And you know what the good news is? Look at the last point. A Christian cannot lose his salvation because it's what you call perseverance of the saints. That means, listen carefully, to know Christ as your Savior means you have been born again, and if you've been born again, you cannot be unborn. You cannot be unborn. Now, you may stray, you may disobey, for a while, but your Lord is going to be gracious and hunt you down. Parents, if you have children who have professed Christ or don't even profess Christ yet, pray that the Lord will hunt them down. Pray that the Lord will those who are saved, Lord, keep them. Keep them in the hollow of your hand. Don't let them fall. Don't let them get burnt. Don't let them get hurt. But Lord, keep them. Keep them now. And you as parents. Pray for them. Set that example. Love them. And as needs be, say, you know, if you willfully and deliberately keep sinning against the Lord, he may step into your life. He said, I love you too much, the Lord would say. I'm not, let you, I'm not going to let you get away with that. So the fact that the Lord himself went through all of that effort, all of that work to come from heaven's glory in the person of Jesus Christ to go to the cross. And on that cross, from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock, the scripture says there was darkness over the face of the earth. And at 3 o'clock, do you remember what Jesus said? He said, it is finished. What had happened? From 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, Jesus suffered the wrath of the Father, the punishment of hell for people that he was going to save. Now that's what it means. When we talk about God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son because Christ actually suffered hell for Christians, for the ones who are going to believe. And those he said to believe, he said, I'm going to keep them. Now I want to, I have a couple of points down at the bottom. Um, I'll not discuss the matters about Arminianism except uh They're ones who say, yes, God is merciful, God is gracious, but he enabled me to believe, so that's good too. 
There are some who say, well, I'm saved because I believed. Now, a person who says like that, you have to be careful so that you're not counting on a salvation by works. But a true believer is saying, God was gracious. He convicted me of my sin. He embraced me as one of his children, and I have come to serve and to trust in him. And then that person will still come around with saying, I love him because he first loved me. Let me encourage you to take this chart with you and discuss it with your elders, discuss it with your pastor. I usually have my email on something, but I don't have it here. But uh, I'd be glad to hear from you as well. But let me just kind of sum it up this way. As I did with the illustrates at the beginning. The man who was in the house tied to the chair and was going to die in a fire. Somebody breaks in the house and ties him, rescues him, and he's free. And then he says, you know what? Thank you. You know what? I owe you my life. You and I were not rescued from a burning house. We were rescued from the possibility of a burning hell. And if he's done that for you, as he's done for me, you owe him your life. What a privilege, By what you think, by what you say, by what you do. For his glory. And you know what? When that takes place in your life, say, you know, I was wondering what purpose I had in life as a Christian. Well, you know what it is. Whatever you think, whatever you say, whatever you do, I said, I'm doing this to please the one who saved me. On that basis... If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, let me encourage you right now as we close in prayer in a minute to confess your sin to the Lord and say, Lord, I've realized I'm a sinner and a need of a Savior, and I want you to be the Savior and Lord of my life. And surrender your life to him. and Commit your life afresh to him. For those of us Christians, to be reminded of what the Lord has done for us, Will you, as well as myself, recommit your life to the one who saved you and any sense of complacency or laziness or indifference or, oh, I'm a Christian. I don't know what that means. No. Lord, as one of your saved ones, you have given me the privilege to please you. And I count that a tremendous privilege and responsibility. Will you make either that commitment of faith in Christ or a recommitment of yourself to Christ this morning? Let us bow together for prayer.
Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus, aided by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the truth of your word that even though we were dead in trespasses and sins because of what Adam did and Eve did, Yet you, by your grace, came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ to go to the cross to suffer our hell. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you came to convict us of our sin, even as we pray you would do right now, as that needs be, and any individual that needs to be. You applied the blood of Christ to our lives and indwell us to enable us to live to please you now. Thank you, Lord, for this glorious truth. Now do a work in each person's heart, in each person's life as you see fit. If you've never trusted Christ, will you repent of your sin and trust him now? If as a believer you say, Lord, I recommit myself in the light of the fact of what you did for me. I want to please you in everything that I think, everything that I say, and that I do. Lord, hear our prayers, because apart from your working in our lives, we could do nothing. We ask it then in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen.